the vision of the of community grace and I think it was back in September maybe mid-October where we in a family meeting we unpacked it um, and we we shared with you um, really what we had done is we we stole it from another congregation um, but um, the vision simply is that community grace is building a community from all cultures where Christ is king and we and we and we hope to do that through five distinctives or you could say five values or five things that we see as important um, uh, ultimately Christ builds a church we know that but but we can we can we can do things that will that are be in obedience that will help build the, the church and so we talked about a few weeks back truth that transforms lives and so we are people who are about the book and the book is about Jesus and Jesus transforms us uh, community that displays Christ, and uh, and I called us and challenged us to to really begin to wrestle with our our schedules and our life, and and go okay, well, how do we live life together so that we can display Christ? How do we treat one another? And then uh, last week we looked at prayer that cries, "Your kingdom come." Really praying that God would build His kingdom, that God would bring revival, um, and then today worship that feeds the soul. Uh, let me start with a word of prayer. Lord, I love you. I thank you that you love me, love us. We recognize that worship is, um, is in a sense, an awe, just standing in awe of you. It's a devotion to you. It, it's a love for you. And Lord, I pray that we as a church would grow in that. You'd help us to grow in our worship and, and, um, and may worship. Would you teach us even now from your word what, what worship is? And, and then, Lord, uh, would you challenge us and convict us to um, step out of this room and, um, and function in different ways because of what you've done in our life? Lord, we love you. Would you be our speaker and our teacher this morning? In your name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 12, those verses 1 and 2, I'm really going to be zoomed in on, on chapter 12, verse 1, really. Um, and we'll take it phrase by phrase this morning, okay? The Apostle Paul has just finished writing a probably one of his ma most major books, letters. It's really a, um, a theological treatise telling us what the gospel is. And he gets to chapter 12, and what Paul often does is he gets to the end of his book, and, and he takes what he is, he is um, he's expounded on doctrinally, and he says, now in light of this, this is how we ought to live. And he's doing that again. Here he says, I appeal to you, therefore. And the therefore helps us to recognize that we need to look back to what he's talking about. Now, certainly he's talking about what just immediately proceeded, but it, it would seem that he's saying, in light of everything I have said, and what has he said in Romans? Well, he started in Romans uh, this, this whole concept that um, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. We sometimes love this idea that God is a God of love. He is a God of love, as we've already heard, but he's also a God, as Kat said at the beginning, he's a God of justice. 
And when he looks at the ungodliness in the world, that he will he will make that right at some point. The Apostle Paul says, For the wrath of God, in verse 18 of chapter 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against, an all, against all ungodliness. He, he, he carries on, um, verse 21, for although they knew God, in verse chapter 1, for although they knew God, they did not honor God, Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 24 of chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. They, they started using their bodies for things that were contrary to what God had desired. And then in verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Now, many of the readers of this letter at this point might be going, yeah, that's those guys outside the building. But as you go through the book, the Apostle Paul begins to make it very clear that both the religious and the irreligious are guilty in God's sight. There is none righteous, no, not one in chapter 3. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. And, and the point is, uh, if that's the case, we're all in trouble. We're all under the wrath of God. And then Paul graciously, verse 21 of chapter 3, he says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. He says in verse 22 of chapter 3, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who, be, for, for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And Paul begins to unpack because of the work of Jesus on the cross and, and, and faith in His work and in His person. We receive the righteousness of God. We're declared righteous. <laughs> and, and no longer do we have to worry about His wrath because we've been made righteous and we've been forgiven. Romans will carry on in, in chapter 5 uh, um, some remarkable pieces. Therefore, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No longer are we under His wrath, but if we have faith in Him, we can have peace with Him. We can be friends with Him. We can literally enter into His presence. Apostle Paul will go on and says, we once were under, we were, uh, we were connected to Adam. He was our father. We were in Adam, but now we are in Christ. And he'll go on in chapter 6, because of that, um, my goodness, sin has no more power over us. Chapter 8, the Spirit of God actually resides within us, and we are called the sons of God, which is astounding. Before we were under His wrath, and now just simply because of the work of Christ and faith in Him, we are now sons, children of God. And he breaks out in this incredible praise at the end of chapter 8, which is remarkably beautiful. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Nothing shall separate us from Him. 
and from His love. The Apostle Paul is simply saying, therefore, because of these things that I have unpacked, he says, I want you to think about these things. I want you to consider them. That's, that's the word he uses in chapter 6. I want you to consider these things. In light of these things, I'm appealing to you. And then the Apostle Paul uses, and he does this all the time, he says, brothers, you could say brothers and sisters. He doesn't speak to them as the Apostle from on high. He speaks to them as one that is equal. It's just remarkable. At the, end of, uh, at the end of Romans, the Apostle Paul just start, starts unpacking the listing people that he, he wants them to greet because he, he, he cares deeply about people and he has relationships with these people. And, and this appeal, he's crying out to them, but he recognizes we're on the same plane. As I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Not only does Paul appeal and cry out for them to think about the doctrine that he has unpacked, but he now begins to cry out and say he appeals to their heart. And he appeals to our heart. That word mercies is found in chapter 9. In chapter 9, the Apostle Paul says um, there's something that is quite frankly, is hard. The first time I, I, I wrestled with this, I was like, I, I don't like this. But the Apostle Paul said in verse 10, And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And if you think back to that story in the Old Testament, you go, oh my goodness, Jacob was a dirty rascal, deceiver, no good for nothing, last guy you want to be a friend with. The Scripture says that God loved Jacob. God actually chose Jacob prior to. The, God's purpose of election Prior to, God, God, God elected Jacob. Now, the Apostle Paul knows that there's going to be some pushback on that. So in chapter 9, verse 14, he says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? And his answer, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Apostle Paul says, therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. He's, he's, he's not only appealing to, to the work of Jesus on the cross. He's bringing them back to chapter 9 and says, you know what? You, you, you guys, all of us are dirty, rotten scoundrels. There is no one righteous, no, not one. And if you are a follower of Christ, it's only because God in His grace has showered His mercy and His compassion upon you. Or as, or as Jesus says, the, 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 the Spirit has drawn you in John chapter 6. And, and, and the Apostle Paul wants us to be humbled by that, not proud. 
doesn't make us special. It doesn't make us, it, it's just simply like, God, you are good. And he's crying out and appealing to our heart. Not just our mind, but our heart. And so in Revelation chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to do what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That word present is a, a technical word in that context that either the Jews would have known and so would have the Greeks because of the mystery religions. Almost everyone was um, would have had a, some type of an awareness of where they would bring an animal and offer it to God or to the gods. And that animal would cost them something. It wasn't, it wasn't, it was something like if they had kept the animal at home and that animal maybe reproduced, they would have more animals and they could sell those and, and, and their, their profits would grow, but they were supposed to take an animal and they would offer it and kill it. And, and now this animal was no longer theirs. They were laying it down and saying, Lord, we place it at your disposal. And with that imagery, the Apostle Paul is saying to what we're supposed to do in light of what God has done for us, which is astounding. He says, in light of that, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, in chapter 1, we just walked through that really quickly, but in chapter 1, what does it say we have done in the past? We used our bodies for what was improper for what was we were dishonoring our bodies the apostle paul is actually saying that this body that i can pinch and and and, <laughs> and slap aside in front of the face we're we're, we're we're to use this body for his purposes i'm supposed to lay my body down and say lord i'm at your disposal I offer you as a slave. I offer myself as a slave. Get that right, eh? That's what, that's what the Apostle Paul's calling us to do. And so he says our sexual organs are actually meant to be used for his glory, not for our own purposes. Our eyes are to be used for him. Our ears are His to be used in whatever way He wants. These hands are to be used for His honor and glory. The, the, the Apostle Paul says, these are not my hands, they're, they're now His hands. That's exactly what Paul is saying. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, because of everything God has done for us through Christ, that we did not deserve. In light of all of that, as I appeal to you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice because in Christ we are alive. We're His. We belong to Him. Holy and acceptable to God. Set apart for His purposes. 
pleasing in his sight. Now, now don't get this wrong. Don't get the, don't get the cart before the horse. The, 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 the reason we are holy is because of what Christ has done for us. We receive his righteousness because of faith in his work. But because of his astounding work, and because the Spirit now lives and resides within us and we are able and we have the ability, now we offer our bodies, we offer, and as you unpack verse 2, it's not just our bodies, it's our minds, it's our entire life. All of our being is His, set apart for Him and acceptable to Him. And then which is your spiritual worship. What's, what's our, 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 our fourth distinctive? Very simply, worship that feeds the soul. If, if we're going to become a church that is from all cultures where, where, where Christ is king, a community from all cultures where Christ is king, we need to be people that worships that feeds the soul. And, 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 and the Apostle Paul is saying that when I, when I offer my body, when I offer my life, when I offer my all, and I lay it on the cross, I say, Lord, it is yours at your disposal. Use it however you want. That is spiritual worship. Now, the word spiritual there, in some of your translations, it'll say reasonable. You might even translate it rational. Uh, it... it in light of what Jesus has done, it only makes sense that this is what we would do. But it's stronger than that, and so that's why some of your translations are saying spiritual. It, it, the, the word is difficult to translate, but it's, 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 it's with all of our inner being, this is what we're called to do. And, and the word worship there can be translated service. It's not your typical word for worship, but, but the idea is worship. to worship God is to to, to love Him, to adore Him, to honor Him. But the Apostle Paul is using a word that, yes, that is true, but, but that is true by our actions, by what we're doing. And so if you look at this, you go, okay, my goodness. Tomorrow when you go to work, your job the abilities that you have at that job, the opportunities you have are meant to be, Lord, this is, I, 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 I present this to you. I'm going to do this job to the very best of my abilities. I'm going to work hard, and I'm not going to work for my boss. I'm going to work for you. Set apart for you and acceptable to you. What kind of what kind of workforce would the Christians be if that's the way we functioned? Uh, Monday morning, that's how we went to work. Father, in the context of my family, um, I'm going to 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 offer my my life and my family, and Lord, this belongs to you. The Apostle Paul is going to actually get really down to brass tack, uh, just brass. How was that expression again? Yeah, whatever that means. He's going to get down to some uh, very practical things, put it that way. Our tongue is meant to, he will say, 
verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. This tongue is meant to be presented to God in light of everything he's done for me. It only makes sense. It's only reasonable. It's only rational. It's only, this tongue is meant to be used for his glory. And so my tongue is meant not to curse, but to bless even those who persecute me. Whoa. That's easy to say now, but it's not so easy when somebody cuts you off in Deerfoot. And Paul's actually, I think, thinking of the time of Nero when persecution meant a lion's den and death. Let your love be genuine, in verse 9. Abhor what is evil. We're to abhor what is evil. We don't, we, we don't even want to look upon what is evil. Do not be slothful, in verse 11. In zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. We're to rejoice in hope. He, he's going to go on in verse chapter 13. We're to submit to our authorities, our governing authorities, and he's not talking about Prime Minister Trudeau. He is, but he's talking about Nero, who will soon kill him. Verse 9 of chapter 13, do not steal, do, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not covet. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is a fulfilling of the law. He's, he's, just, he's just calling us. Our, in our entire life is to be presented holy and acceptable. Now, the praise that we have suggested as one of our distinctives is worship that feeds the soul. And I was like, what in the world does that mean? And since we borrowed this, I thought maybe it's good to actually see what the, the ones we borrowed it thought. And I, and I listened to um, the pastor's uh, take on this, and, and I really liked what he said. It is true that we can worship God on Monday morning when we go to work. And it is true that if we, instead of coming here on Sunday morning, we went off to the mountains, we could worship God in the mountains, couldn't we? Could we? Yeah, we can. All of life is worship. It ought to be. But but worship that feeds the soul is is I think what Paul is doing here. What is what has Paul done? He has penned a letter. He's never been to Rome. He will get to Rome, but he hasn't been there yet. He's penned a letter, and what has he done in that letter? He's articulated what Christ has done. He's written out the gospel. And, and he's done that so that the, the, the people there can understand the depths, the riches, the, the beauty of what Christ has done. And when do you think this letter would have been written? A read is when the saints would have gathered, typically on the first day of the week. We've got the Apostle Paul in, in, in 1 Corinthians where they gathered on the first day of the week and he, he spoke way into the mid, into mid, in the midnight hour. 
The first day of the week, they would gather and they would, they would, uh, they would uh, present their offerings before the apostles' feet. We're told in, in chapter 2 of Acts that they, would, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Why were, they, why were they doing that? It is true. They did not have all 27 books of the New Testament and, and all 66 books of the Bible probably in a bound copy like this. But they would have had a letter from Paul and the odd letter from Peter. And they would have had probably the Old Testament. And, and the church probably shared those documents. And they would gather together on, on the Sunday, sometimes in the synagogue, sometimes in a hall, usually in homes. And they would read what Paul had said. And they said, read it again, because they would hang out together a long time, because they couldn't take it home and read it in the morning in their quiet time. So they had to hide it in their heart and in their mind. And what were they doing? They were... They were the Apostle Paul in these letters and Peter in these letters, he was appealing to them. He was explaining them to them the mercies of God. And, and, and as he was doing that, he was like, this is what God has done and so that the people could then walk out and worship God. They were worshiping God as they were hearing the Word, as Paul was feeding them through a letter or sometimes in person. But that's not all the church did. How else did the church gather? We're told in Colossians that they sang hymns. They sang hymns to encourage one another, to admonish one another, to teach one another. Well, we don't just sing hymns because, well, we don't know what else to do. We've got to fill some space. We sing because we want to say, Lord, we honor you, we worship you, but we want those words that are on the screen to actually feed our soul. So that when I get out of here, I want to go and worship God on Monday. When I go out of here, I want to I bless those who persecute me because I'm overwhelmed by what Christ has done for me. What else did the early church do? They, they, they would gather to pray. They would gather to break bread. On the first day of the week when they would break bread, what is breaking bread? We, we pause and we simply remember, this is what Christ has done. And we're speaking to our intellect and we're speaking to our heart. We're reminding ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're reminding ourselves of the mercies of God. And as we as a people do that over and over and over and over again and actually grow in, in our depth of our understanding, but not just in our knowledge, but in our, in our love for this Jesus, we will be a people that will worship God together and we will be contagious. Worship that feeds the soul. So we're not simply saying we've got to be people who sing good. I really don't care how you sing. It would come from here. My grandfather was the worst singer on the planet in a building about half this size. And for some reason, he thought he had to do this while he was singing. He was terrible. And he sang at the top of his lungs. But he did that because he loved Jesus. And it was beautiful. And I was a little kid, and I would, he'd live two doors down, and I'd run over to the house, and the thing was you'd knock once, and they couldn't hear me anyways, but we'd knock once, and we'd run in. And he was singing. Half the time I would show up, he'd be singing. 
And I, I was told he wasn't always that way. He was a cranky old man at one point, but God in his grace was graciously changing him and shaping him, and he was a man that wanted to worship the Lord. He did that with a terrible voice. I'm sure it's good now. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You know, this week, as I looked into at this passage, I go, Lord, it, it, this isn't just a one-time thing. This is an ongoing, Lord, today, would you, would you take me and would you use me in whatever way you want? I present you, Lord, is there something in my life that needs to change? Okay, God, I will, by your grace and your power, I will change it. I'll quit walking in that way and I'll walk in that way, holy and acceptable to you. And as a people of God, we're gathered together. I, I can't wait for Sunday. That's why I get together on Thursday. That's why I love getting together on Saturday morning because I just I just I need to be in the Word with other people. And and and, um, and whether it's a, over a cup of coffee, what is God teaching you? And I want to hear that. And you need to hear that from me because we're we're feeding each other. We're feeding the soul. I keep tabs on the other group, and I heard the other group had a wonderful Thursday evening together where their soul was fed because the people gathered, and they gathered around the Word, and they gathered around each other's stories, and um, God was at work. And while that was going on, God was doing good things in our context as we were gathered around the Word. And My dear friends, we need to feed our souls so that we can go out and worship the Lord in all that we do. Pray that that's the kind of church we become. Let me pray. Lord, uh, the truth is you love us. That love, that mercy, that compassion, that pity. And you saw the dire straits that we were in, that we were, that we were destined to be under your wrath, that we were under your wrath, that we were headed for a, 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 a destruction, a future that was not good. But Lord, in your grace, you awakened us. In your grace, you sent your son to pay the penalty for our sins. In your grace, you, he died on a cross. In your grace, Lord, his blood was shed. And Lord, you don't tell me to earn this. You just simply say, trust me and I will give you my righteousness. And you declare us righteous, Lord, thank you. This is astounding. And Lord, in light of that, Lord, would you teach me to live as a man that continually presents my body, my life, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And Lord, I pray that you do that in our lives, each of us. In your precious name we pray. Amen.